Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners, where we have a special treat with not one, but four guests to help guide you in navigating your investments and your future. This event was held in the offices of our friends at ShareSite on September 24, 2019. ShareSite is a fabulous portfolio tracking tool. Try out their seven-day free trial, and if you do decide to purchase a plan, go to sharesite.com forward slash shares for beginners, where you can pick up two free months on your subscription. This event was hosted in conjunction with Finimize. Check them out and their daily updates that help you to focus on what's important in finance news. I was the moderator. There were some great insights and passionately held convictions from the panel. We're going to get on to tonight's subject, which is things to avoid in investing or common mistakes that all investors make. Now, I feel like the mosquito at the nudist colony. Where do I start? <laughs> there are so many mistakes that we can uh, talk about. I'll introduce the panel first. To my immediate right, we've got Claude Walker. Claude is an investor who looks for the best opportunities at the small end of the ASX. He's the founder of Ethical Equities and he looks for profitable, ethical businesses suitable for investing in. Next to him, we've got our dear leader tonight from ShareSite, the CEO of ShareSite, Doug Morris. And ShareSite is used by over 100,000 people worldwide to easily track their portfolios online. And then we've got Kylie Parker. Kylie is a director at Lotus Accountants. She has shared her life lessons in a book titled Planning Plan B, How to Prepare for 10 of Life's Unexpected Stressful Events. Only 10, Kylie. <laughs> and is that the book that we're giving away tonight? Yes. Fantastic. Okay. And then uh, at the end, we've got Ted Richards. He's the Director of Business Development at Robo Advisors Six Park. He's a former AFL Premiership player with the Sydney Swans and a keen student of behavioural economics, which he recently studied at Harvard. And he also hosts the Richards Report podcast. So we're going to start with some questions. What is the most memorable investing mistake that you've made? There's so many to pick from. Uh, I'd say that probably the most memorable investing mistake is the one that went to zero. Uh, it was right when I was starting out. I did very little research, bought something based on, I think it was an intelligent investor article about some sort of plantation timber company. Uh, so I bought shares in that, uh, which was cheap. And not longer after that, it went to zero. I think that was the, the end of me uh, not researching shares and actually giving me a good kick in the butt to really start researching and understanding the risks of what I was buying. So that's the most memorable, not because I lost the most money out of it, but because I lost all my money on it. Um, for me, a similar story, it, basically a case of me not doing my homework whatsoever and being an overly aggressive male in his mid-20s. Um, during the global financial crisis, I saw some of the writing on the wall, as, as did a lot of us, about what was happening in the real estate markets, uh, and in particular, the commercial real estate market in the US. So I went looking for something that would 
give me short exposure to that. And so I looked around to try to find an ETF that did that. Um, and there was a there was a whole menu of really really sexy and aggressive sounding ETFs like Ultra Short Bear, Two X Ultra Short Bear, and of course I picked Three X Ultra Short Bear because Three X is better than than No X. Um, and uh, what I didn't do is is read the prospectus or read anything about it. And so I put some money in and kind of let it ride because I'm I'm kind of a buy and hold guy. And I noticed that. The only thing that it was doing when I was checking on it was just losing money slowly but surely. And I thought, how, how is this possible? I'm, sh- I'm short a market that's just you know going down the tubes. Well, I didn't realize that the instrument reset itself every day. And so all I was doing was just paying fees to this particular ETF company um, and not checking in on my performance. So buyer beware was, was uh, definitely my mistake. Uh, worst investing mistakes, two divorces. But... Uh... <laughs> Apart from those, uh, probably again going back to research and so I, I do a lot on Twitter, a lot on social media and so that's where I'll do a lot of my research these days. It's amazing sort of what you can track back by following the crumbs and I was watching Simon Holmes Court a lot on renewable energy and so I made an investment in Infogen Energy and it was only afterwards that I was uh, aware that it was a rebranded Babcock and Brown investment. And so I'm still holding because it's uh, at some point it's going to make money. But I thought you were going to say social media was your worst investment. That's probably something I'm guilty of. Um, uh, Phil said I, I, I used to my former life. I was a footballer. I got drafted when I was 17. I read a book about investing when I um, and I thought I was the shit and um, um, put some money into the stock market. Uh, it was Pacific Brands. Um, because I'd seen Bonds undies everywhere and um, I didn't do my due diligence and realised that Pacific Brands own a basket full of companies and Bonds is just this much and a lot of those other companies are loss making and um, uh, the the investment went very poorly even though my original thinking that Bonds was going all right was uh, actually right so but uh Lost a bit of money there, but uh, it gave me a taste and um, I, I guess uh, over the last however many years um, I'm just trying to get better each time. So what have you learnt, uh, Ted, from the mistake? I guess there's so much to learn. I, when I look back at, at myself at 17, it, it's, I was something very guilty of what some people in the room may be aware of called the, uh, the Dunning-Kruger bias, the, sorry, the Dunning-Kruger effect, where we um, overestimate our ability when we don't have too much experience in that. And um, I guess that would be um, a, a mistake that I'm guilty of, but... Uh, what I am fascinated by these days is the behavioural side of investing because there's the logical, rational things that we'll touch on tonight, but there's also the the way that we've evolved to make decisions which uh, influence our decisions and that which um, many of the room will be familiar with, with overconfidence, um, endowment effect and all these things that can subconsciously influence your decision and um, they're very powerful. It's how we've evolved. So um, you can't um, avoid them. You've just got to uh, manage those to the best of your ability. So it's all about the emotions as well and the, the feelings that you I can have for a company. It, it can. Be, I think that a lot of mistakes do ultimately come come down to some sort of emotional human failing. But if I've not picked a risk and I've, I've looked past it and if I've failed to avoid that for my readers, ultimately that's always a mistake for me. You can't avoid mistakes. A great mentor of mine once said, look, mate, we make mistakes in our lives every day. There's not a single day you don't make a mistake. 
um, whether it's big or small. So you do have to live with mistakes in a way. But, um, you know, another great friend of mine said, look, just don't lose the lesson. So that's, that's basically my message for tonight is in most mistakes or at least plenty of them, you can find a lesson and don't lose the lesson. It's become much easier to invest in a basket of stocks all at once via managed funds and ETFs. What should people look for in ETF and uh, what is an ETF, Ted? This industry is just full of acronyms and here's yet another. Mm-hmm. So uh, exchange yeah, traded, make it clear for us. an exchange-traded <laughs> fund. And um, there's, there's all sorts of um, ETFs from pure vanilla passive ETFs that just track an index. And there's also um, smart beta ETFs, which uh, can have a bit more of an active tilt um, and a bit more of an active position. So um, I guess, where would you like to start with ETFs? Well, I think let's go back to the basics. I mean, how many people are aware of ETFs here tonight? And do you understand how they work? Uh, the difference between active and passive? No? No? We've got a few shaking heads. Well, let's go for okay. the, the okay. basics between... Um, yeah, very simplistically, there's um, passive investing, which is investing in indexes, which... Uh, the likes of Vanguard, iShares, State Street have um, become very popular through the benefits of investing passively. And in the other corner of this box, metaphorical boxing ring I've got is Warren Buffett, who is, um, I guess, even though he loves uh, passive investing, he is uh, an active stock picker. I, uh, I love ETFs, even though I, I'm the CEO of ShareSite, which is predominantly aimed at people who run their own portfolios. Uh, we track ETFs too, of course. I love ETFs. I, I, I do, uh, I call it core satellite. I kind of have a bedrock of ETFs that I use um, to protect capital. And then I pick stocks that I like, that I've done my research on, that I uh, that, that sort of um, uh, are in the field that I work on. So it's a lot of technology stocks, it's a lot of software as a service stocks, things that I'm very familiar with and very comfortable in researching. So um, that's how I use, use ETFs, but I think they're great. And also, particularly in Australia, I remember when I, when I moved to Australia 12 years ago, um, I got a bit of money back in a tax return from the States, and that was probably the money that I lost on that terrible commercial real estate play. Also through an ETF, so buyer beware. Um, I was looking around as, as to how to place my money in a managed fund, or what we would call a mutual fund. And so I went to you know, fidelity.com.au or whatever, and I was like, why can't I buy a managed fund? This is crazy. How do I actually invest one? And you can't. The only way to invest in a managed fund... Uh, historically anyway, was uh, through your superannuation or through an investment platform, which just are just have really, really high fees. So I was shocked. And so again, ETFs are a great alternative to that. And it's still kind of the case, really. So, Ted, please explain robo-advice to us. Yeah, I guess through the, the Royal Commission, there's been many sad stories that have come out about What's been going on uh, in parts of uh, the banking world, and, and which includes financial advisors, and um, I do feel sorry for many financial advisors because um, there, there are many fantastic financial advisors out there um, that have been providing great value for their clients. That have, um, I guess, uh, their, their industry has been been tarnished. So I don't think anything's ever going to replace quality face-to-face advice that is transparent, and no conflicts. Um, uh, what we provide at Six Park is a form of advice and that's uh, done online. So the term robo-advice is a bit of a misnomer as unfortunately there's no robots or 
some sophisticated cyborg. There's no algorithm. No, no, no. no, no there's well, well, there's real humans. Yeah, we, there, yeah, there's real humans. And um, uh, our investment committee uh, includes people that have uh, former Minister of Finance for the Australian Government, um, uh, former chairman of JP Morgan, and, and uh, former co CIO of the World Bank. So, real people that are making um, important decisions for our clients. It's just that. We don't take clients out for lunch. We won't buy your coffees and things like that. So, and um, uh, with robo advice, it's not holistic financial advice. So, if clients, uh, investors, people are looking for help with estate planning, um, setting up trusts and uh, property, um, that's that's not us. But we can help people. Um, get an investment portfolio and help them um, be invested in the market and look after them for them. Mm-hmm. Have you got anything to add, to add there? Because I'm, I'm sure you probably work side by side with many financial advisors. Uh, no, I probably haven't had a lot of good experience with financial planners, unfortunately. I think too many of them have been aligned with, yeah. uh, with other banks or other bodies. So I think actually uh, the best financial planners I've seen are the ones that do that holistic planning. They do a risk profile, they get the family members involved, they help with estate planning, insurance, cover a whole lot of the the aspects of your financial plan uh, in, in its t- entirety. And one person that I work with a lot at the moment, it, it's to, to me the mantra has always been wealth accumulation. Wealth accumulation is sorry. Wealth creation is the process of accumulation, and so it's just sometimes there's so many people that want that quick stock hit and you know to get a win, and they are unfortunately they're rarer. It's you know it's it's a little bit like gambling, and, un, and you kind of you do get a couple of those, and then you kind of chase them and you start missing the the warning signs, and so it would still really be a case of the good financial planners I've seen are just, okay, let's start putting $25,000 away in self-managed super fund. By the time you get to 60, you're going to have a lot of money. And you start that at 20. That's how you get rich. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Okay, well, I want to ask everyone on the panel how their kids are invested and what you're teaching them about investing. My kid's like 19 months, but the, the, <laughs> the only thing he has is Google shares. And actually a lot of this talk about ETFs, it just keeps coming back to me to, to why not just buy Google shares? So Google is this amazingly powerful company that literally is a route to market for almost everybody. So it always has you by the balls. It, if you think of the stack of economics of just our our commercial world, there are only a limited number of routes to market. And Google is like one of the major ones. And any business, Google can, you know, whole, you know, businesses lose 40, 50 million dollars of their market cap when the Google algorithm changes. This is a company that can always tax everybody. You're literally buying a right to tax everything. So you're telling me that the ASX 200, with its mining companies and big four banks, are most of that index. That's not diversified. Are you joking? To me, 
Google is diversified. That's going to tax everything anyone does in the West. That is a diversified holding. I would take Google shares for my son any day over an ETF. <laughs> what about DuckDuckGo? <laughs> Ask Jeeves. <laughs> that is interesting because uh, Google also has me by the balls because my wife has worked there for 12 years, so she's remunerated um, with Google shares. Uh, and also, what, half of our advertising budget at ShareSite is, is filtered through, through Google as well. So, yeah. We've, uh, we've been investing in, in some kind of blue chip shares um, kind of along the lines of what, what Kylie has said for, for her kids, really. But, but again, it's, it's very concentrated in areas that we know, so pretty tech heavy. And um, are you, have you started teaching her about anything or...? Um uh, I'm trying to. How? In what sort of way? We're just at the basics of, of kind of financial literacy at the moment. I mean, I'm trying to say, like, why daddy has to go to work, basically, so he can <laughs> earn money to repair the paint that you just tore off the wall. So yeah. we're kind of at that any, stage. Any plans, um, though, in the future? Oh, to... certainly. Yeah, 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 for sure. I think because that was one of those things. My dad worked in financial markets, and then, I, like I said, I worked at Morningstar in a very boring but very academic area, and that really has paid dividends um, for me over the course of my career. Yeah. I've got two boys and uh, 15 and 12 and then two stepdaughters. And so it's actually been interesting with the blending of the, the families uh, as to kind of you don't realise if you do come from a background where you talk about money, sometimes, sometimes you don't feel like you're teaching kids, but you just it's just inherently going in. And so the stepdaughters, their level of uh, financial awareness is on a steep upward slope right now. Uh, so I actually asked both my boys what, uh, you know, in terms of had I taught them anything in investing before coming along tonight, and my 15-year-old has reverted back to Nerf guns. So he was saving for quite a while. He's just, I think there's a natural tendency with uh, kind of what we're born with in terms of how we spend. And so he was saving a lot, and now he's just blowing it all on Nerf guns at 15, which is just weird. Uh, so I, I don't know if I've taught him anything. Where my 12-year-old, though is collecting coins. So at the moment, his biggest thing he wants is $1,000 to buy some big silver coin. And so not only does he you know, is he aware of, one, it's got a value, but it's also then he knows he, he can go through all threepence, sixpence, tell you me, you know, what year, when they were created, all about the currency, uh, you know, who was on the back, what percentage metals. A lot of them are silver, particularly like silver. Uh, and so... I think actually from a young age, I would sort of thinking about this is just collecting something of value, not LOL dolls, but um, uh, so how do you get them into is one saving for something? Um, and I do think travel is a really good thing for children as well. So I always had two places I wanted to take my kids and that was Disneyland and Africa. And we've done done both. And to me, that was sort of showing them the heights of capitalism and then also, you know, how fortunate they, they are. Um, and that lesson in Africa didn't sink in at the time. They thought the kids there were pretty lucky. They weren't going to school and running around with knives. But um, I think as they've got older, they've got a bit more awareness of that. And again, just travelling also teaches different, you know, politics, currency and, and, uh, and just the more diverse opportunities you can present to your kids, the more that they become aware of the value of money. Because I think I've got a lot of friends that have got kids in private schools and they've just had everything given to them and, um, and clients as well. And some of them, they're just train wrecks. They're on, you know, they're on drugs. The parents are supporting them. I, I've got clients that I will keep the kids because the kids cannot manage the money for themselves. 
the parents will pass and I'll just be helping the kids manage things. And that's not what you, you know, you don't want to create wealth and then only to see your family, you know, not be able to uh, live their own independent, successful lives. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got two kids, uh, three and one, so not having the conversations with them as yet. But um, I guess if we are talking about creating wealth tonight, um, so much has been about how we can create wealth through investing. But one of the, um, the easiest ways to create wealth is to increase your savings rate. So I'll be having that conversation with my kids about the importance of... Um, I love the line, it's not what you earn, it's what you burn. And um, coming from my former life as a footballer, um, did I see some guys on incredibly high salaries for... 10, 15 years that led extravagant lives um, with their lifestyle creep and um, by the end of their career, not much to show for it other than some some pretty impressive photos of, of cars and boats that they owned. Um, but the, the line that I love that I really want to reiterate to my kids, I think it was Bill Gates that said it, and um, I think people need to maybe remember this when it comes to investing is that people, we all overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years so um uh harnessing the power of compound returns when it comes to investing whether you're active or you're passive or you've just got money in the bank um you don't really harness those that real power until uh you know years decades so um it's not about weeks and months so i I guess that there are some philosophies that i'll be uh telling my kids about Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, I think we're going to open up uh, for questions now from the audience. Has anyone got a question, please? Um, One of the uh, first issues addressed was uh, around your biggest mistakes. And um, I've certainly made some mistakes with uh, buying shares as well. One of the uh, difficulties I've had is uh, really deciding when you're past that point where you've got to get out. And uh, I'd be interested in hearing some opinions about how you really work out when it's time to get out. Yeah, so I think for an actual stock market investor who's analysing and trying to buy and sell shares, the key is to make sure you understand you have a thesis for what you think is going to happen when you go in. With the example I gave, the reason I took so long to do it is I wanted to explain to you my thesis going in and then how that didn't work out. And that's going to tell you when you've made a mistake ultimately. If you've made a a series of predictions about how you think the actual business is going to go and you can just separate that out from the share price, if the share price is dropping, that's a clear sign to go and check your thesis. Is it broken or is it still true? Um, And if you can see that what you thought was going to happen is no longer happening, then my general position is to say, okay, well, that's the time to get out. Now, it's always easy to open up to, oh, but the share price has dropped now, so you know if we just change the thesis a little bit and, and now it's still cheap again, but that's sort of known as thesis creep. And everyone, including professional investors, including myself, um, can end up doing this. And so for me, sort of the, the first thing to do once the thesis is broken is sort of even just sell it or sell most of it and then you can sort of sit on the sidelines and see if you want to buy back in with the sort of new thesis. Things are different then. But uh, what sort of percentages would you be talking about doing? I think that's the point. You have, what sort of percentage loss you would be? Yeah, so honestly, there's any... 
I, the ideal situation for me would be that something happens and there's no percentage loss and I've spotted that the thesis is broken and I sell without any loss or even that the market sometimes it does really happen that someone a business might announce an acquisition for example and the share prices actually go up but when you go and research the company they're acquiring it looks like really terrible and it looks like this acquisition is a bad idea and you never had a thesis where they were going to make these acquisitions and that would be enough to to say break the thesis um generally speaking it's very rare for a share price to 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 fall say 50 percent without something really have changed assuming that you're trying to do some valuation and buying things sensibly on the way in. If you're just buying random stocks like at the peak of their height, then yeah, they can draw, they can fall 50% for no reason. But if you're trying to buy things that are undervalued in the first place, usually if it's fallen like, you know, even 40% or 30%, usually something's happened. And certainly if a stock has fallen 30%, I'm and there's no obvious thing that's happened, I'm desperately looking to try and find what has happened and what is spooking the market. Uh, for me, it's just about kind of discipline. It's 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 um, basically writing down a thesis uh, and then putting in some kind of KPIs in like a Google Keep note. That's what I do on my phone so I can look at it and remind myself. So one that I'm living through right now and I'm, I've been holding on to too long is uh, OzForex or OFX. Uh, and I just, I, I, <laughs> I'm still supportive of my thesis, but I've just, I've fallen into the trap uh, where I just, I, I just don't understand what's been going on. Anyway, competition, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's kind of buoyed back up to around a loss of about 10% or so. So I think that's that's kind of a good trigger for me. 10% I can live with. It's probably time to get out. Yeah, I was, I was just going to add that, that the emotional side can really kick in. And um, uh, so checklists is a common theme that have been brought up. Um, um, having an investment diary can be great. But um, the last one is... Um, uh, holding a, a pre-mortem as opposed to a post-mortem where before you buy the, the, the stock, you actually work out the ways that um, try and forecast the ways that it may, uh, it may not work out. And uh, I think if you've ticked those three things, that might be, uh, give you a bit of a more of a remove your emotions and give you a bit more of a framework to uh, make the decision. Oh, I need to work out that myself. I'm so overweighted now in zero. I bought in uh, when it listed in Australia. And uh, and so I'm so emotionally attached, though, that... Uh... That was a mistake. <laughs> no, it wasn't a mistake. But I, it's the, that's the out bit. It's like, should I be sort of selling down some now? And But, uh, yeah, I can't let it go. Thanks for the Google pick. Awesome. And um, my question is around where is your... Um, go-to sources for investing in stocks to purchase. So thanks to the Warren Buffett, that's cool. Um, but what, what sources do you guys look at to, um, to do your kind of investigation before you purchase something? I would go first to the facts. Go to Morningstar.com for US stocks or Morningstar.com.au for, for LZ stocks. But yeah, or, or the primary source. Go to the company reports. Like You need to get objective information on... Price history, financials, competitors, etc. Um, as a as just to influence yourself as little as possible as to what others are thinking about that stock. Um, so that's where I always start. If I'm doing anything um, trading wise, I always have a tab Bloomberg or something like that open. I mean, the free Bloomberg, not the expensive terminal, just just to get the the share prices and just factual information, really. But but how does that identify? A particular stock. Well, that, that you want that's to find. where I start. I want to start there, just to kind of zoom way out, get a lot of context, and then um, and then go to the cufflinks, the live wires, the 
ethical investors, things like that. So um, I'm actually looking at. Uh, so I did a whole ASX top 100. Just check uh, when I got remarried and my. Uh, new husband wanted to put his money into my super fund as well because it's he's now getting the benefit of my returns. <laughs> I don't know if you have super funds work, but member fund balance. It's not an issue at all, obviously. But um, uh, is I actually did do a listing of the top uh, 100 because there's actually, if you think about the money in super, that there's not a lot to invest in in Australia. I mean, really, for, for what's there. So I did just go through the top 100 and I just website each of them and I went and actually had a look on the boards so I'm really about uh, diversity and you know I think that the more uh, varying inputs that companies have these days I think Atlassian the way that uh, that is run is you know is something that is a testament to how they um, the organization can be so agile so I go back to looking at boards so sometimes I think women invest a little bit differently as well. And so, and, and I'm not a professional, yeah, uh, investor. I've seen a lot of, uh, I worked at a, a Dutch trading, Optiva uh, trading company for a while. Um, and I've worked at Deloitte, I've worked at Zero, BBC. So I've kind of, uh, you know, I've got a, a good broad view of what's there. And I would say sometimes it's still about, do I like the company? Do I like what they do? Um, do I think they're doing good things? So, so sometimes it might be yes. Then I might go to looking at um, newsletters and uh, Morningstar is, is is one thing I would always use straight up. But I don't think it hurts to actually just going looking at the AS, you know ASX, looking at even just their brief bit of information on each one. Do you like the look of it? No, get out of it. Go to the next one. Yeah. So I just wanted to double down on primary documents. I'm a big fan of encouraging everybody who's investing to actually read the annual report. Look at the profit and loss statement, the cash flow statement, you will be able to find, if you don't understand that straight way through, you can start Googling questions. You can just ask Google anything and it's going to tell you an answer. So just look at the primary documents is, is the first step. Then when you're actually making making decisions, you know, something like a newsletter, like Ethical Equities and there are others out there, is useful for finding someone to A, like suggest to you what stocks you might want to look at yourself and B, to help you sort of master the psychology um, of investing to take you through the journey. Oh, you know, we make mistakes true. We've got a recent article about, um, you know, sh- sharing mistakes that we've made as investors and also um, successes as well. And then even down to the nitty gritty of how do you understand a cash flow statement? How do you calculate free cash flow? I think if you look at the primary, you must look at the primary documents at some point yourself. That's absolutely what I encourage people to do. And and then secondly, you will start, uh, it's an excellent point, Um you will start developing your own biases. And I think one of the advantages that uh, people who may not be accountants can actually have is to start looking at the people that are involved in company and then looking at um, their track record. That can be a really powerful way to uh, double-check other ideas you might have read about a company. Uh, Personally, generally speaking, I just think the most valuable thing you can do is just read the annual report of the companies you own. I can't help myself. I'd add one more thing. Just understand who's getting paid and how when you read stuff. Someone's always getting paid, except for primary sources. Well, the, the annual reports may still be misleading in some way, but <laughs> they are still the, yeah, they're still the primary document. They are, they, the financials have been audited 90%, 99% of the time you can trust them. Okay. I'm an accountant. I wouldn't read the financial statements. <laughs> 
Only because I, I just, in terms of, there's no level of consistency. And I mean, I was actually talking to a senior lecturer at UTS and, and she was running through uh, some of the financial statements that are, are being prepared. And, you know, my ob would come out with these crazy statements of what they're doing. And you just go, you know, I was out there in the field talking to accounting firms and everyone is just getting off my ob and going on to zero. And this is back in the day. And I talked to fund managers and they go, oh, my ob's got this good return and everything. I was like, yeah, it's dying. It's like, it's going to be dead. Um, if you sat my ob next to, if you sat next, my ob next to zero that's an excellent example you can like literally you can see you can look at oh which one's revenues going up faster oh it's zeros going up a lot revenue for my obs not going up much at all yeah my ob had a greater profit i i, I never bought my ob myself i did buy zero um and i looked at the accounts and i could see in the accounts that one of them was growing quickly and one of them wasn't and if you play that out a few in a few years, like I'm not saying look at the profit and buy on a PE ratio. I'm saying look at the accounts to see the story. My question is for Ted and for Kylie. Kylie, you mentioned just a moment ago um, that women tend to invest differently. And right at the beginning, Ted, you mentioned overconfidence being an issue. Can you both... (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to hear your, your opinions on how men and women tend to invest differently. Um, both at the start, but also, you know, longer term experienced investors have been investing in markets for, for a number of years. At Six Park, we, um, we're aware of the data analytics and we can see who's logging in to their portfolio uh, the most. So we actually get great feedback um, as to, and once we um, um, split it up for male and female. And uh, males uh, typically, I, I forget the, uh, the actual numbers. Um, check their uh, portfolio daily, um, are more likely to change their risk profile and time the market and do all these things which we, we know is um, incredibly hard to do. Um, and females um, can be far more conservative, far more disciplined, which, um, but there is a negative to that too. And that, that is females, are, uh, in what we've seen, are far more likely to keep money in cash, and which is great over the short term, but over the long term, um, if you are conservative and keeping your money in cash, it, it can affect you, uh, your ability to um, get longer returns over, over time. So um, that's what we've seen at Six Park. There is a, there is a material difference. Uh, I'd agree, and I don't have the data to, to look at that, but I'd also... Uh, I, I think a lot of female clients I have tend to be more in properties as well. So the, uh, I think that visual, again, they are more conservative. Um, does it hinder sort of some of the decision-making that, that we do? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it does over the longer term. I, I suppose that it's just, again, that risk profile. You can you know have generalisations about both sexes and um, there are some women that are quite... Um, risk takers and and do amazing things uh i i would say women though are now because um there's still a gender bias towards males and so obviously there's lots of things around about addressing that is that i think the more and more that that um rises in terms of uh, diversity on boards as well so i think it's i don't think a male would necessarily that's a bit um a lot of men are now starting to support that diversity i've got uh friends on boards at murbach uh quite high levels 
um, and across other industries. And and obviously they've got a CEO who's a female. So it depends on their own structure as to whether they'll then start supporting that. Where I mean, I looked at something today, it was like six white guys, and I just went, I'm not going to invest in that. So where I don't think a guy would look at that and go, I'm not going to invest in that for that reason. Like it's just not that, – that to me is just a thing and it's so big where a guy would have to have it be, I don't know, a journey. I don't know. I don't want to speak on behalf of men. But um, it's not something that's as glaring to them as what it would be for us inherently. Okay. Well, can we say thank you very much to our fantastic panel? Come on, up, take a bow. They've been fantastic, haven't they? And uh, can we also say thank you to Finimize and to ShareSite for putting on this uh, fantastic evening. And I think the pizzas will still be exactly. warm enough to eat. Thank you. Uh, Finimize have a lot more events coming in Sydney, so if you're not already a Finimize subscriber, you should subscribe. Um, and we're also hosting a lot more events at ShareSite. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice, and you shouldn't buy or sell any shares based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation. And I'd also like to say a big thank you to Christopher Sulos of Garlic Breath Studios for all the fantastic help with the music production. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.